forget about those dank new Star Trek series. We're going to take you back to a time when Trek ruled the sci-fi day. And we're going to talk a little bit about the wonderful and weird technology in Star Trek and how it can be used to enliven your games. This is the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Noch Make it so. Okay, so we've had a few requests for this since our first episode of the Reimagined podcast where Hannah was talking about her Star Trek game. So I'm going to turn over to our resident Trek expert mm-hmm. and let her talk about that. So, Hannah, how can you use Star Trek tech to enrich your games? Well, there's a lot of different kinds of Star Trek tech and one of the big things about the game is the idea that yeah one of the big things about the setting is the idea that the human characters usually the main characters of the story have access to almost infinite whatever they want so like infinite resources yeah so, so we're talking post scarcity effectively you're giving your player characters if you're putting them in the golden era star trek world you're giving them infinite equipment and you need to deal with that in many different ways. Okay, so let's start off with one of the the technologies I'm sure people are most familiar with. Even if you're not a big Trek fan, you'll know Picard, you know, make it so, warp speed, stuff like that. So obviously there's some sort of faster than light travel in Star Mm -hmm. Trek. How does that break down and how could that help with your game? Well, it breaks down... As effectively, the idea is that when a ship travels at warp speed, the ship isn't travelling, it's folding space around it, and each warp factor, warp one is the speed of light. Okay. Warp two is the speed of light times the speed of light. So warp nine is ridiculously fast by comparison to warp one. So... What's the advantages of potentially your player characters having faster than light travel? Because I imagine that must have an effect on your game. Indeed. So they can get pretty much wherever they want to go as fast as they want to. Okay. Unless you put an obstacle in for why they can't. You just have to think about distance in terms of the individual story that you're covering. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like having this warp speed mm-hmm. effectively negates the need for travel unless you want to use travel in your Exactly. Game. And this is the thing with a lot of the Star Trek technology. You have to sort of go with it for the story and come up with some daft reason why it's not working at the moment if you don't want them to have access for it in that story so presumably if you've got you're running an adventure and you've got like planet a and planet b mm-hmm. and there's nothing going on in between and they need to get from a to b you can just be like oh warp speed you're, you're at planet b let's crack yeah. on with the adventure there's no need for yeah. like a you can montage. go back and forth between planet a and planet b without any major trouble unless you want there to be a bit of travel time, you'll assume that it's going to take a couple of hours in-game. It's also about relative speed. So if the Federation has ships that travel at warp 9 and the Cardassians have ships that travel at warp (sighs) 9.1... Exactly. 
it doesn't matter that they're going at these ridiculously faster than light speeds because it's whether you're faster than the other ship that's relevant. Yeah. And then you just have to consider, oh, we're going to get there 10 minutes after they do or whatever. Okay, so let's go on to the, the, the second bit of technology that everyone, even those who are only passively familiar with Star Trek, is going to know. Everyone knows the phrase beam me up Scotty although I know he didn't actually use that phrase <laughs> but everyone is familiar at least in principle with the idea of transporters you know the ability to instantaneously move you from one place to another via a technological gizmo the principle is that you can take an atom and change it into another type of atom using the replicator technology which we'll talk about in a minute mm-hmm. that is used somehow to break down an entire human object, whatever you like, yeah. turn it from matter into energy, send it through a stream and turn it back again. There is some debate about whether or not you're breaking down one human being and creating another yeah, because I was going to say, I, I've, heard, I've heard the theory that, you know, the transporter actually just, like, destroys the original and makes, like, a mm-hmm. perfect copy on the other transporter now, pad. And I, I know there's episodes is, that seem to suggest that's right and others that don't. Yeah, it, it's very philosophical, and a lot of it depends on whether you believe in a soul or not, and a lot of it depends on which particular instance you're talking about. So the two that are most sort of relevant in this question when people ask about this question yeah uh examples that you see are when commander riker while he was lieutenant riker before he was ever on the enterprise uh was on a planet where it was very difficult to transport people the transporter beam wasn't quite working and the engineer who was operating the transporter came up with this weird solution of sticking another transporter beam on him while the first one was on him. Okay. One of those beams went back up to the ship and Commander Riker was there on the ship. The other beam, through some fluke of Star Trek narrative, bounced off the atmosphere and put him back on the planet. So... They thought he was rescued. They went off and had some adventures. Years later, they come back to that planet and there's Commander Riker who thinks he's been marooned there and has been expecting people to come and rescue him because they know he didn't make it back. And he did. The reason I don't think that that is quite the same as breaking one person down and creating another person, why it's not a good example of that, and this is just my opinion, you're allowed to think whatever you like, is because it's two transporter beams, that is what's duplicated him. It wasn't that the original was left behind by accident and the new one was created as expected. It's two duplicates. He was actually duplicated. Okay. Uh, the other example that people talk about with the next-gen technology and whether or not the soul goes through the transporter is uh, the fact that Barclay is aware of being inside a transporter beam. When yes. Like, there's, I think it's like a minor incident where for a couple of seconds they can't get him to materialise and it just takes a little bit longer 
and it turns out there's some like microbes inside some of the transporter equipment and that's what he's perceived while he's in there but for me that's not so much his consciousness being aware of the entire transporter process as it is Barclay seeing something during the materialization process that he interprets oddly because of what else is going on okay so the, the debate's out on whether it destroys you and the soul obviously that's a far more complicated subject that we're going to get into in this episode the one other thing that i would point out on whether or not you are transported like body and soul so to speak is the fact that while there isn't any star trek science as to whether or not humans have souls vulcans do We've seen it covered in two separate stories, one in Enterprise. Oh, three, in fact, because I think Picard carries part of Sarek's soul later. Um, But, yeah, Spock's body is destroyed, his soul is placed into Dr. McCoy, and then in Search for Spock, they go to retrieve his body and stick his soul back in, basically. Uh... I'm pretty sure in the intervening time, Dr. McCoy goes through a transporter beam at least once. And, and surely, if Spock's soul's been transported in that way, then it must also be being transported by the transporter beam. Now, whether or not the actual technology is doing that, or whether your soul just knows where your body is, or knows where there's a suitable body, that's all far too philosophical, and yeah, so I'm not touching it with a barge pole. It, it sounds to me, in terms of, in game terms, obviously the transporters often which the same benefits that like fast than like travel do. So you don't have to like travel via shuttle from a planet; you can just be beamed up. Indeed. But again, you can always come up with some weird reason why the transporters yep. can't work, or oh, there's magnetic rocks yep. in the the planet or whatever. If you want them to travel by shuttle, but it seems to me from what we've just been talking about, if you wanted to get into the more sort of philosophical side of like your game. I mean, you don't have to, mm-hmm. but if you wanted to, this might be a good way to start oh, yeah, sort of sliding that in. There's a lot of material there that you could use, and there's other sort of stories if you wanted to do the philosophical stuff. The Vulcans are a really interesting race to look at that stuff for because so much of their um, culture is like out there for you to look at on Memory Alpha. Same with the Klingons. Okay, so you mentioned a bit about replicators mm-hmm. there. Now, obviously, if you're not familiar with them in Star Trek, I mean, I'm sure you probably are, but in Star Trek, they have effectively like a series of like ultra sophisticated 3D printers that can like make whatever you want. So you go up to it and go, oh, I'd like a, I'd like a glass of water temperature 15 degrees I or whatever i believe you didn't say tea earl grey hot i'm, I'm not thinking star, i'm not thinking as a star trek person <laughs> as you but um it can basically manufacture whatever you want converted energy into matter is how i understand it and yep. just like shazam there it is yeah now again energy into matter and matter into energy uh i believe that most of the matter that's used in the food replicators in federation ships comes from the waste extraction units in said Federation ship. Uh, there's a great bit in Enterprise where they're answering questions for kids from a primary school and the engineer explains how most of the things that come out of the matter replication unit that they're using are made from poop and old shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
again, matter needs to be there to get broken down into energy or it uses a lot more energy. Replicators are massive power suckers. That's why on Voyager they spend so much time looking for other sources of food because they need the replicators to keep repairing the ship and it costs a lot of energy to keep making cake for everybody. Yeah, because don't they, like, the crew have, like, rations of, like, using the replicators for Yeah, and uh, that's one of the things with Voyager that's a little different from many of the other shows in that the crew do have their own sort of economy there. Yeah. Whereas... Uh, in next gen, basically, if somebody wants something, they go down to the replimat, they push a couple of buttons, they get the thing. So gifts, for example, become a lot more about just picking a symbolic object than it is about how much you've spent on that object because you've spent a replicator ration. Yeah. Uh, in Deep Space Nine, on the other hand, because they have to work with other economies as well, there's times when Jake Sisko wants to buy something and he can't because he's human and humans don't have money because humans don't need money because humans have replicators and they can get whatever they want whenever they want. They need some of that gold-pressed latinum. (laughs) Okay, so, again, in terms of games, for those of you who aren't familiar, we're probably going to refer to the phrase post-scarcity here. Um, And what that effectively means is what would the world be like if the sort of daily struggle to acquire things wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a speech in one, I think it's probably next gen or original series, where he talks about how humanity is like the need for material things. Oh, there's several. I think you're thinking of Picard explaining it to the uh, woman in first contact when they're walking away from the ball. Yeah, and he's saying like the, the drive to acquire material things isn't part of like the human makeup in their time. And she's like, oh, well, what do you do then? He's like, well, we go out and improve ourselves and we we try and find out what's out there. So in terms of your game, what effect does that have on your game when effectively... Because obviously, like, in a traditional D&D game, which is obviously, like, more my Mm -hmm. sort of bag, a lot of the drive is, like, right, we're going out to get that treasure. We're going out to, like, earn that gold. We're going out to do this. If you can just go up to a replicator and be like, give me this... Mm -hmm. How does that affect the game? How does it make it different if the drive to like get stuff is removed from your player characters? Well, obviously, it means that a lot more of the game is about the people and how they're interacting with each other. Um, if you give your players all of the power, all they want is to make happy endings for NPCs. Or that's been my experience with it so far. They want to be able to make it so that places where bad things are happening, bad things aren't happening anymore. They want to make it so that everybody has access to this. So it's it sounds to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that what you're saying is like because those sort of traditional RPG sort of motivators have been removed, mm-hmm. you need to find other things to motivate your player characters, whether that's helping out an NPC, whether like giving them an ethical challenge or yeah. stuff like that. You so so. What would you yeah. recommend in terms of like stuff to replace that? This is another thing to look at. When I'm running Star Trek, when I think of Star Trek, I'm thinking of the Snodgrass episodes of Star Trek. The she's one of the writers. The really sort of 
cerebral ones where nobody fires a shot, but there's something on the line. Like yesterday, I watched that first one with Kaylar in the girl, the woman who's Worf's son's mother. Mother. Yeah. Um, the stakes in that episode are there's a Klingon ship which has been its crew's been in stasis for 50 years so they don't know that the Federation and the Klingons are no longer at war. There's a load of very small undefended outposts scattered all around the region where they know this ship is but they don't know exactly where it is. Yeah. And they have to find a way to not kill these Klingon citizens because they are Klingon citizens, yeah, loyal yeah. warriors working for the Empire. It's not their fault, they don't know what's going on. While also preventing them from attacking any of these... Federation citizens. Federation colonies. And the solution that they come up with is they put Worf in full Klingon captain's regalia and sit him in the captain's chair and let him do the talking. And he sits there and says, it's been 50 years, the Federation and the Klingons are no longer at war. And he manages to talk them down long enough for some more Klingons to turn up and say, yeah, it's true. Yeah, so so more of like an ethical dialogue. Yeah, and the whole stakes of that episode was, are we going to swat this fly? Are we going to crush this 50-year-old antique out of date ship that can't move as fast as us hasn't got anything like decent weapons i mean these guys shoot at the enterprise a couple of times and it it doesn't even blow up a console right okay (laughs) um yeah so it it is a lot more about what you should do rather than what you can do and it's a lot more about what you should be able to give than what you can get the way I play it. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned like shooting there and not making a shot. However, we know that there are weapons like phasers, etc. In Star Trek, there's various different iterations of them throughout the different films. So obviously mm-hmm. there is still the need for forms of personal protection. Well, yeah, because if there's no threat of combat, then there's less... So the diplomacy feels like less of an achievement when you manage to talk them down from a fight yeah. sort of a thing. Um, there are ways that you don't have to do the easy thing, basically. Um, yeah. And when you're looking at ship-to-ship combat, again, it's about the... It's not about how much weaponry you've got, it's about how much weaponry you've got compared to the other guy. If you've got similar levels of weapons, similar levels of armour, whatever that be, whether it's shields or armour planting on your hull or a combination of the two, then you're evenly matched. Whereas a lot of the time in the show, the Federation vastly outpaces the other ship or the other ship vastly outpaces them. And it then becomes about what do you do when you're the mouse and you're being chased by the tiger or what do you do when you've got all the power and the other person still wants to fight? Okay, so finally, before we wrap up, there's a phrase which I know me and you have used quite a, a bit, but other people may not be familiar with. That's Treknobabble. So for the listeners out there, Hannah, what's Treknobabble? Treknobabble is basically made-up Star Trek speak for science stuff. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is that Trainer Babble is just basically 
a mechanism via which mm-hmm. the GM can sort of point to the direction of the story. Okay, now as far as I'm aware, there's sort of like two main fields where this trainer barb is used. It's either the sick bay, mm-hmm. it's like medical stuff, or it's engineering, like mm-hmm. something's wrong with the ship. So what I'm going to do for you listeners out there is I'm going to ask Hannah now if she'll run through a list of some of her favourite trainer babble from both the engineering and the medical spheres feats that you can possibly use in your games in future. So I love, tell me why the engine's not working properly. Uh. <laughs> well, it, it may be the antimatter flow, it may be the dilithium matrix. Isolinear circuits, perhaps it's the optical relays. Uh, the phase distribution network may be uh, slightly out of calibration. Perhaps it's something to do with the duonetic cables in the EPS conduits. We'll have to go down the, de- the Jeffrey's tubes and check the antimatter storage containers. Uh, Okay, so where will it, once we're checking the antimatter storage containers, where would I find out more about uh, that on, on the ship? Uh, you'd have to use the LCARS system. That's the Library Computer Access Retrieval System. You can use that on one of the consoles on the side of the ship, or perhaps you'll want to pick up your pad. That's Personal Automated Digital Device. Okay, so, so, so let's say I've been afflicted by some sort of some sort of gribbly alienness, and the doctor's got me down to sick bay. They've beamed me directly there. There's a there's a level four quarantine field up around me. The the, the doctor's coming in to have a look at me. W- what sort of things might the doctor be using? Oh well, obviously I get out my medical tricorder, and I maybe want to use a cortical stimulator or a hyperspray. Perhaps if you've been injured, uh, if you've got a flesh wound, I might want to use a dermal regenerator. And obviously, if I wanted to knock out everybody else on the ship, I'll need some neurazine gas. Okay, so there's a few bits of Trachnobabble that you can scatter amidst your sci-fi game to add a bit of like background flavour, like fill in a bit of time, or to like point your game in a particular direction. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and you get something out of it. If you want to leave us a message or perhaps tell us what your favourite bit of Trachnobabble is, then you can leave us a voicemail using SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the description below. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care and keep boldly going where probably a few people have gone before. So from me and Hannah, live long and prosper. And when in doubt, reverse polarity. We'll see you soon. Take care. Poop and old shoes.